Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Today we're beginning a brand new series uh, through the book of Colossians. Uh, and actually, one want to mention quickly, uh, Advent Conspiracy is also going to be our sermon series for Advent. So we'll be looking at those four themes uh, that were presented in the vi- at the end of the video. Uh, but until then, we are going to be kind of walking through Colossians. Uh, so if we're going to understand this, uh, if we're going to kind of walk through this series, we need to understand a little bit about this book. So let me just give you the facts. Uh, Colossians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, to Christians in a place called Colossae, uh, and he wrote it uh, from a prison in Rome around A.D. 62, so back in the 60s, like the real 60s, right? Like the original 60s is when Paul wrote this letter, uh, which is roughly three decades after the life of Christ, so it's, it's an early letter. It's written close to the life, uh, death, resurrection, and then ascension uh, of Jesus. Colossae uh, was located in ancient Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, uh, and before the, this letter was written, it was actually a very important city uh, that was located right on a trade route. So uh, as people were trading goods uh, back and forth, Colossae was kind of a hub uh, to stop. Uh, what happened, though, is they came in, they built new roads and went through different cities so that by the time Paul writes to the Christians in Colossae, Colossae's, kinda, Colossae's glory days have been, are kind of over, and they fall into relatively little importance historically uh, after kind of the, the rearrangement of those roads. Uh, so, so basically, Paul is, is writing uh, not to a city that's highly important, uh, but to people whom he loves and cares for. As you read the Apostle Paul's letters, which is a majority of your New Testament, uh, you really get a sense of Paul's pastoral heart. Uh, he's willing to kind of be rough when, it needs to, when he needs to get the truth across, but underneath it all is Paul's real pastoral heart, and we can sense again uh, that in this letter. Now, what's interesting about this letter is that uh, Paul is writing to a church that he didn't start and to people whom he did not know. Now, he cared for them uh, and loved them, but had never personally met them, which is really unique. A lot of Paul's letters, he's writing to churches that he planted and to people that who he knew, uh, but Colossians is different. Uh, so, how, so what is his connection then to the, the Christians in Colossians? Uh, the church was started by one of Paul's friends named uh, Epaphras. So again, looking for baby names, just want to suggest that. So uh, Epaphras uh, actually visits Paul while he's in prison, uh, updates him, and he says that for the most part, the Christians in Colossae are doing great, but they are facing uh, some pressures that are tempting them away from Jesus. And Paul actually writes to address those pressures in particular, uh, which we actually don't learn about until chapter 2, so we're not going to learn about those pressures until next week. Um, I think it's a great letter. I think it's a great book of the Bible. And I believe that it has a lot to say to us today. Uh, in fact, that is, that is the real beauty of the Scriptures. Uh, that even though they were written thousands of years ago to a particular people and for a particular purpose, the Spirit of God can infuse these words with life so that they speak to us today. Uh, the Scriptures themselves say uh, that the Word of God is living and active. And the reason that it is, 
living and active is because it is the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, who infuses these words uh, with life and application for us today. So we're going to begin our study in uh, chapter 1, verse 15. I'm going to read verses 15 through 20. Uh, So I invite you to uh, open up your Bibles or uh, follow along on the screen as we read this together. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 15 says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by by making peace through his blood, That is shed on the cross. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, Now, there's two stanzas um, to this passage of Scripture, uh, which many understand to be one of the original hymns or songs uh, that would be sung. Uh, And the first stanza is in verse 15 through 17, the second is in 18 through 20. Uh, and what they deal with is different, but their themes are, are, are connected, which we're going to find out. Uh, now, it's interesting. Uh, I want to just kind of hone in on this, that uh, many scholars kind of think that verses 15 through 20 of chapter 1 is one of the earliest hymns of the church, uh, which is to say that, that even non-biblical kind of historical writings uh, verify and, and place very early evidence uh, that Christians, soon after the ascension of Christ, uh, got into this, this odd habit. And this odd habit was gathering together once a week and singing hymns together, right? So like very early on in the Christian life or in the formation of the people of God, uh, they get together once a week. There's this rhythm of gathering together for the purpose of bringing praises to God, uh, and, and many uh, historians and scholars believe that when we read Colossians chapter 1, verses... Uh, so let's look at it and explore it together. The first thing that Paul says about Jesus uh, is that he is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all of creation. Now, let's just admit out loud what probably many of you are thinking. This is a weird phrase, (laughs) right? The firstborn over all of creation. Uh, What does that even mean? Does it mean uh, that Jesus was created before anything or anyone else? And certainly we want to say no to that, that Jesus uh, is not a created being, but he is the eternal word of God made flesh, okay? Uh, And and this is part of the reason that Paul once uh, is so adamant about telling us that that Christ is the embodiment or the incarnation of God. What what he says is Christ, he is the image of the invisible God. In other words, Paul is saying to us, Jesus is God made visible. Thank you for coming to church today. Right? I mean, this is enough, right? I mean, if we could just kind of get a hold of that, that Christ is the image of the invisible God. That's a, that's a huge pill to swallow, and it makes a, a tremendous difference, and we're going to explore that even more next week. 
Uh, but part of the reason that Paul wants to be so adamant that Jesus is the embodiment or the incarnation of God, that Jesus is God made visible, is to avoid this misunderstanding about what he means from the firstborn over all of creation. And so the question is, then what, in fact, does he mean? Uh, well, the firstborn of all creation is actually an Old Testament image uh, that's meant to point us to the reality of Jesus' royal status over all of creation. Uh, to be the firstborn of something is to, is, is to say that you have a royal status. And so when, when Paul is kind of using that turn of phrase, the firstborn, but then he says, over all of creation. It, it, it's Paul's kind of creative way of saying Jesus is over creation. In fact, look at the, 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 look at the language that Paul is using um, if Paul wasn't a mystic, I don't know what he was, right? Uh, for, in, in, in kind of modern Christianity, we want to be able to explain everything. We want to be able to put everything in very clear lines and boxes. We want everything to be systematic theology, right? Uh, we want everything to be clear cut. But then Paul, Paul says stuff like this. He says things like, in him and through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I mean, this is, this is mystery that we can't yet even grasp or understand, that in him, through him, for him, in him all things uh, are holding together, before him all things were. I mean, it's crazy, the language. In other words, what, what Paul is trying to say is that you can't talk about creation without talking about the role of Jesus Christ in creation. Uh, we, we could say this, that what, part of what Paul is saying is that Jesus has primacy in creation. That he has this royal status over all of creation. He's the firstborn over all of creation. But what he also wants to say is that Jesus has agency in creation. So, so Jesus has primacy. He's over creation, but Jesus also has agency in creation. That is to say that, that Jesus, the pre-incarnate Word of God, is an acting agent at the creation of the universe. That sound you hear is your mind blowing. <laughs> it, it, it's like, you, know, you see what I'm saying? Like, Paul is trying to elevate the status of Christ for us. Jesus isn't just a passive onlooker. Jesus isn't God's plan B. But rather, God creates the world through Jesus and for Jesus. If you look in your Bibles, many of you will have a heading right before verse 15. In mind, the NIV, it says, the supremacy of of Christ. Paul is trying to get us to understand the place of Christ over all of creation. Jesus is the author, the king over all of creation, and for him all things were made. And what, what blows my mind is in him all things hold together. It's like, have you ever heard someone say like about um, a, a matriarch or a patriarch of a family? It's like, you're the glue that holds this family together. You ever heard someone say that? Uh, it's just like Paul is basically taking that to a cosmic scale and, and applying it to Christ. It's like Christ is the fabric by which and for which and through which the universe holds together. 
One of my favorite songs is uh, Great Are You, Lord. And uh, there's a line in there that says, it's your breath in our lungs. That's, that's part of what that song is trying to point us to, is this reality, that, that, that Christ is the very fabric by which the world holds together. You could say it this way, Jesus is Lord of creation. And then verse 18, beginning in verse 18, the second stanza, we have, uh, we have kind of a new, a new churn, uh, a transition in the hymn where it says once again about Christ that he is the beginning. He is the beginning. It's a way of saying that Jesus is there at the start. Jesus is the headwaters. Uh, he's the start of something new, right? If Jesus is over all of creation, and then Paul goes on to say, second stanza, right? Uh, so we all know the melody, but here comes the second stanza. It's going to build on this and show us something new. Now it says, he is the beginning. But then this time he says, he is the firstborn, not of all creation, but this time he says, he's the firstborn from among the dead, now, let's again admit out loud what many of you are thinking. That's a weird phrase. <laughs> what in the world does he mean about that or from that? So you have firstborn over all creation, now firstborn from among the dead. These two phrases mark off the stanzas. The first, again, was a sign of ro Jesus' royalty over all of creation. And the second one points us to this, his resurrection. He is the firstborn from among the dead. Now, many in this time period be understood that resurrection was to be an event that would happen for, uh, for believers uh, at the end of the age, and the, res the general resurrection of people would usher in the brand new world, right? So that, that like, if you kind of look at the landscape of the world at this time, particularly among Jewish folks, but certainly among Christian Gentiles, uh, the, the idea was when, when, when somebody gets up out of the grave, that, that's a new world. <laughs> would, you, would you agree? <laughs> if somebody raises from the dead, there's something altogether different and brand new going on. Now, it was, it was a traditional belief that kind of when, when God ushers in the new age, then those who have died in Christ will, in fact, be resurrected to their new bodily life. We still hold on to that truth today. But here's what happened. Jesus got up out of the grave as the firstborn from among the dead. Something brand new has started. That's the good news, isn't it? That's, I mean, the whole thing hinges on the resurrection of Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ is that there's a new world that's coming. <laughs> right? It's like, what does the song say? Daniel, help me out with the lyrics that we just sang. Those who are uh, holding out for something new. Hold on. Is that it? That, I botched it, but that was it. That's the, that, you know, like somebody somewhere said something like that. <laughs> and so that's what Paul is pointing us to with the firstborn from among the dead is this, this, this brand new, something brand new is going on. If you don't believe me, uh, let's check out some Greek. Uh, the Greek word that we translate firstborn uh, is, the, is the word uh, Prototokos. Oh, sounds familiar. Where we get our word prototype. In other words, if you want to know what new creation looks like when it is lived out, Jesus is the prototype. 
If you want to know what new creation, if you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like, if you want to know about the world that is to come, then here Jesus is the beginning. He's the headwaters. He's the firstborn from among the dead. He is, in fact, the prototype. He is the first. He is the start of something brand new. You could say this. He is sovereign over creation. You could also say this. He is an acting agent and sovereign over new creation. Amen? Because it isn't, it isn't just this. Sometimes we try to reduce Christ, but, but again, Paul is trying to elevate our view of Jesus. It isn't just that Jesus is a model of new creation. That isn't enough. Jesus is the reason that new creation is coming about. He is the means by which the new creation is coming about. So he is the means and he is the model of new creation. That is, that what was torn apart, what was fractured, what is broken in creation is being put back together and is being reconciled in Christ in new creation. I thought for sure I'd get an amen right there. Because <laughs> that's good news. What is broken, fractured, and torn apart in creation is being renewed, reconciled, redeemed, and put back together in Christ in new creation. You with me? Now, if you just read this, I'll be honest, if you, if you just read this and you just kind of take it at face value, it can all seem like a barrel of fish hooks. I don't know where that phrase came from. I think my dad used to say it. But whenever I say it, I get the same reaction, utter silence. <laughs> like, what does he mean? Uh, like a barrel of fish hooks, right? It's just like, what in the world is going on here? It can be very, very confusing to understand this passage. So let me, let me boil it down. The big idea that Paul is trying to get across is Christ above all. Christ above all. And this statement is, is a statement of truth. Christ is above all. But, it, but it's also a statement of intention, it's meant to draw us in. It's meant to invite us somewhere. That is to say that Christ is to be above all. That, that if we take this, this passage of Scripture and we begin to think about it, it's, it's both proclaiming a truth and pointing us to something that, that in our lives, Christ is to be above all. Let me help us kind of pull that out even a little bit further. I want to pull out two implications from this. Uh, one that is corporate, kind of a corporate expression, and then one that is personal, corporate and personal. Uh, that way the force will stay in balance, right? Um, right in the middle of this song, or this poem, between the stanzas about creation and new creation, in verse 18, right at the beginning, did you catch it, uh, is this phrase, and he is the head of the body the church. Uh, to which those, while they were gathered together and singing this hymn, looked at their neighbor and said, why is that line in there? You know, what does that even mean? <laughs> you ever done that? You're singing a song and you're like, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> well, it seems that even in Paul's day, as in ours, people wanted to take Jesus to go. Um, you know what I mean, right? People wanted to take Jesus to go. 
Uh, church life can be messy. I'm glad I didn't get any amens there. <laughs> but church life can be messy. I, I mean, it's, there, there's any time that you are in relationships, significant relationship with people, it's bound to get messy at some point or another. And so church life is not exempt from that. Church life can be a little bit messy. Relationships can be difficult. Programming often is not perfect et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so a lot of the ways that people have responded to this problem of church life being messy is to take Jesus to go. I'll take Jesus, I like Jesus, but I'll leave the church. I don't want anything to do with the church. It's too messy, it's too hard, it's too difficult, it's too this or that. We want to take Jesus to go. For Paul, for the Apostle Paul, this is not even an option. For Paul, the church is the place where the supremacy of Christ, that is Christ above all, the church is the place where that reality can be worked out and embodied. Now, did the Apostle Paul have in mind um, the church as we think about it? Highly institutionalized, denominationalized, programmanized, sometimes you make up all the words, right? Did, did Paul necessarily have that vision of church? Well, maybe, maybe not. Probably not. So I'm not advocating that church has to look like it looks, but I am advocating that for the Apostle Paul, if you are going to work out Christ above all, it has to be done in relationship with other people. It has to be done in relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. There simply is no way for us to embody the, the reality of Christ above all outside of relationship. We cannot take Jesus to go. We always have to be rooted in this community of people. That's for Paul, not just here, but over and over and over again. That's a reality that he points us to. But I want to say this. I, I think it's significant that, that this line about Jesus being the head of the church is squashed right in between the two stanzas of creation and new creation. And it points us to this reality. The church exists in the space between creation and new creation. The church exists in the space between creation and new creation. In other words, this is not a worship song with a whole bunch of my, I, and me. Uh, this is a worship song that points us to uh, the reality of who Christ is. And so if you are looking for your place in it, then it is in the church confessing the supremacy of Christ. That's your place in this song. It is among the people of God, the body of Christ, confessing the supremacy of Christ over creation and new creation. So we, as a people, the church, we exist in this creation and we wear the effects of sin and decay. What this means is that relationships might be messy. And I hate to say it, but it is true. At this point in my life, I hardly know anyone who has spent any amount of time in the church that hasn't been hurt in some way, myself included. Right? And that's because we occupy the space between creation and new creation. And so on the one hand, we have this, this, this difficulty, this, this, this struggling, this, this pressing, this frustration of, of the messiness and, and all these kinds of dynamics that can come together and, and, and hurt or harm or offend or frustrate. 
And yet, the good news, people, friends, people of God, is that we also live in the space of new creation, that we still have this seed of new creation in us that we are being drawn into, that we are invited to organize our lives according to this new way. And, and that is the church life in relationship, working, pulling together in relationship of what does it mean to live with Christ above all. Because for Paul, that is the very place, the church, where you work this reality out. Like we talked about last week, God is working to form us more into his likeness. That us, personally, but he is also working to form a people that will reveal new creation by the way that we live under the supremacy of Christ. We did you catch that? We, the church, the people of God, we reveal new creation by the way in which we live with Christ above all. But here's the thing. I can't reveal new creation on my own. Some of you are like, yep. <laughs> Those of you that know me well are like, uh-huh. <laughs> but here's the other thing. Neither can you. Right? I can't do it on my own, and you can't do it on your own. But if we but if we do it together, then we can begin to embody this, the reality of new creation. To put it this way, I could, I could lock myself in a room and live a perfectly moral life, but by doing so, I've done no good to the world because I have lived my life in isolation. Did you catch that? I could lock myself in a room and live a perfectly moral life, and yet I have done the world no good built into the fabric of creation and new creation is relationship. What this means is, and I, and I want you to catch this, this means that much of our pain will come from broken relationships. And our healing and reconciliation will also come in relationship. That which is broken in relationship is healed in relationship. That person over there, they hurt you really bad, Reconciliation, fight for it, work for it. If it's possible, awesome. If it's not possible, do not isolate yourself as, in, as a way of guarding yourself off. What was broken in relationship will only be healed in relationship. Because built into the fabric of creation and new creation is relationship. And so we reveal new creation when we live with Christ above all, when we seek, new, we seek new creation, when we offer forgiveness, seek reconciliation, embody justice, and when we love. And since Jesus holds creation and new creation together, he is the center of our faith. He is the center of our faith. That we are a confessing people that come together in unity under Christ and I'm convinced that the only true picture of new creation, at least as the Bible paints it, is with those from every tribe and language and tongue confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. And what that means for us today, right here and right now, is that we can find solidarity with our brothers and sisters in Christ literally around the world. That's the corporate implication. Let me give you the personal implication. Personal implication is this, that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have been reconciled to God. As I was reading and studying this Colossians again, 
I decided, or there was, there was this uh, thing that kept just jumping off the page and really stuck out. And it was the way in which Paul paints the gospel in this first chapter. I want you to go back to chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, which say this. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And then in in the verses that we read, verses 19 and 20, Paul says, God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood that was shed on the cross. And then Paul goes on to say later, this is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. The good news of Jesus Christ is this. Jesus Christ is the prototype of new creation. And if you will place your trust in him, you will be rescued from a dominion of darkness that is marked by sin and death and be moved into the kingdom of light that is marked by love and forgiveness. And God has taken the initiative and you have been reconciled to God in Christ. I caught myself a few weeks ago screaming at you saying, God isn't angry with you. (laughs) You remember that? And then I said, that would be a lot better if I wasn't so angry. And I said, God isn't angry at you. I think it's important for us to recognize who needs to be reconciled. Is it God who is angry and must be reconciled to humanity? Or is it humanity that has tried to take the place of God and now must be reconciled to a loving Father who has never left. It's the second. Again and again, Paul says to us that in Christ, the world has been reconciled to God. God didn't need to be reconciled to humanity. Humanity needed to be reconciled to God. And God in Christ has done it. Our response is to place our trust in Him, commit to walk in the ways of Jesus, to commit to walk in the ways of love, forgiveness, reconciliation, mercy, grace, all the things that Jesus embodies in his life and in his ministry, we are called to be a people like that. After all, we are called Christians, Christians. And when that term was first used, It was a diminutive term. It was meant to be an insult. Look at that community of people forgiving one another. (laughs) They obviously don't know how the world works. Look at that group of people over there advocating for peace and being peacemakers in the world. Don't they know how to live an empire? Look at those people over there offering mercy, caring for the sick at the risk of their own health. What are they doing? I know what they're doing. They're trying to be little Christs. Those Christians. To which the church said, yeah, you got it. You you nailed us. All right, guilty. We're trying to act like Jesus. 
<laughs> I hope the same could be true of us today. Where people would look at us and say, what are they doing? Those people that are trying to act like Christ, they obviously don't know how the world works. I hope that could be said of us. Let me close by saying this and just trying to sum everything up. I know, I know there's a lot to kind of digest here today, but let me try to sum it up in this way. Christ holds together creation and new creation. He is above all. He is therefore worthy to be worshipped and is the center of our faith. As the prototype of new creation, he is gathering to himself a new humanity that will reveal to the world what it means to live under the lordship of Jesus. But inside this corporate reality is the good news that you have been reconciled to God and your sins have been forgiven. You only need to respond by placing your trust in him and confess Christ above all. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your word. The words, these ancient letters preserved through history, but now these words infused with life through your spirit. Speak to us, even in our time and in our day. So God, we just give you thanks. And we pray that your spirit would nudge us, move us, encourage us, convict us, kind of do your work in this place so that we might grab a hold of this message. God, I pray that there's been something that I've said that would, uh, that would land on people's hearts, that would, that would ring true. Um, and God, that you would be with us in these moments as we gather around the table together. That you would show us that this is the place where we can meet with you that you meet with us to do your work in us. So God, may we come with hearts of thanksgiving and hearts that are open to your work that we might be a people that embody new creation in the world. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We give you thanks and praise. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.